Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. Put homemade oak bar, pour yourself a cold one. My name's Chris, his name's Craig, this is Bucks in the Basement. 30 minutes of Bucks for fans, by fans, and I'm looking up, my friend, at this past weekend CBA negotiations, the latest in all of them, and in pretty much every category, it's like just a little bit of movement, not a lot of movement, but I did see this really interesting thing I wanted to kind of highlight, all right, because everything was like, Well, instead of us giving you $10 million for the bonus pool for pre-arbitration players, let's give you 15. The Players Association is like, we asked for $100 million. So, like, they're really far apart, right? Yeah. But this whole narrative, and and don't get me wrong, the owners are big, giant jerks in this entire thing, right? Just horrible, horrible jerks. But they did do a negotiating thing at the table that I laughed out loud about. When I read it, and I think a lot of people missed it, so I kind of want to fill you in on it. So MLB had proposed service time bonuses tied to awards voting. That is money to players tied to their awards that, that they're ending up getting. In fact, one of the big things they're complaining about is that they want a way to even the playing field to stop tanking, right? So they, they're proposing higher minimum salaries and all these other things, right? Well, Major League Baseball came back with them with this proposal that teams would receive two draft picks if a star prospect finished in the top three in major awards voting in multiple years as a way to disincentivize service time manipulation. Basically saying you should play these guys because if they're actually ready and they do well, your team will get extra draft picks. Now, Think about what Major League Baseball just did. They just gave a valid way to incentivize teams to start their guys earlier and start their clock earlier if they think they're ready because they're going to get more picks. So they're able to build more. They're able to add more talent at at a higher level, right? Yeah. But the Players Association wants money. They want bonuses handed out. So what's funny is what MLB has done is they've said, How about this? Instead of making you guys richer, we'll give picks to the team and it'll accomplish exactly what you want. And then right then and there now, if for some reason the players say no, they'll start looking greedy because they want the money instead of the picks for the teams, which would also work. You see what I'm saying? Like that was, that is a negotiating ploy. That is a, watch watch this. We came up with this and we giggled about it. Now we're going to tell you it at the table. And let's see if you guys are greedy or you really just want the lower teams to bring up te- bring up players quicker and start their young guys quicker and start the clock quicker. Let's find out what really matters to you. That's actually a, a very smart tactic because 
And then there's the other part of that the teams would have to spend more if they got, I mean, you you would have to almost expand draft pools or something at that point if you're giving teams, you know, these extra picks along the way. So that's, you know, more money and more bonuses to, you know, young players coming out of, coming out of high school and coming out of college. I mean, think about if you combine that idea with the draft lottery idea that's been thrown out there. You could actually see a team that has a bad season if they if the lotto number comes up correctly and they've got some guys like where they're picking up extra picks from things that they did. Like teams that actually get bad and amass draft picks may actually turn their team around quicker. They may they may still take a little. They may still like, yeah, we had a bad season or two. But imagine the Pirates rebuild if Instead of hoping you get the number one overall pick, you just end up in a lottery where you might end up with a better pick than what you get a couple of years, right? Like, imagine that. And then imagine that you get extra draft picks because you start Cabrian Hayes early and he ends up winning an award or coming close to it in 2020, right? Like, like if you bring up O'Neal Cruz to start the year and O'Neal Cruz goes off and he ends up in the top three, in, in awards categories. And now all of a sudden the Pirates get two extra picks. Think of how that jump starts things. Wouldn't you want, like that would be such an interesting debate on this show with those rules, because I would sit there and I'd be like, play him, get him up there, play him. And then even if your team sucks, you're watching what he's doing on the field because he could earn you two picks for your rebuilding team. Like that's so exciting. I like, I love that idea. I, I know I'm falling into the owner's trap, but I love that idea. No, I think it's, I tell you the truth, Chris, once you said it, I was like, it's actually not a bad idea because if you're the players and you're saying we want guys to come up and we want to do away with service manipulation, we, you know, want teams to not tank, this would be ways that, I mean, like you said, they could still tank, but this is ways around both of those, but yet they're still just saying, well, we want the minimum salary to be... I think it was 715 or something like that. And the, and MLB is at like 615 to 625 and then like the incrementally going up. They're going to figure something out on that because they basically said a, a 630,000 a year minimum flat thing, which never increases yeah. or the one that goes up in tiers, one year of service, two years of service, three years of service. And, th- and that final year it's seven and a quarter and yeah. it's pretty close to the 775. So I feel like they're actually getting really close with that minimum salary. I don't think that's going to be a sticking point. But I, here's the other thing with the idea with the, the two draft picks if your star prospect finishes in the top three in major awards voting. Now think about how the team is incentivized to look at the top prospect and say, we believe in him. Let's buy up all of his arbitration years and maybe the first year or two of free agency and give him a big contract right off the bat, like Wander Franco or like Luis Robert. Those guys got that money early, and they never manipulated their service time, right? And then when those guys go out and they do great, all of a sudden now they're getting draft picks on top of it, and they locked up a guy early and got him paid really before he even got going. At that point, how can you argue that the young players aren't getting paid? Because the deserving ones, they're going to want to give them the money up front. They're going to want to get them out there, and they're going to want to get in that lottery for those extra picks. I think it just, it's such an interesting rule to me. 
It really is such, I mean, I think that that's probably one of the most interesting things that's come out of negotiations. We don't know if anybody's going to agree to it, but there's so many possibilities with that proposal. I was intrigued by it. Yeah, and like you said, Chris, it's it's definitely something interesting to think about, and it's gauging where the players are at because, I mean, the people in, in media or whoever it would be, they're trying to, you know, put down that the players are the bad guys because everybody's got, somebody's got to be a bad guy. Like, it's you either have to have, your writing has to show that the, uh, or your reporting has to show that the owners are the bad guy, like 100% the bad guy, or the players are 100% the bad guy. I mean, this kind of like, levels that ground a little bit because i mean when you look at it the owners honestly have like one big ask like they want expanded playoffs they want as many teams as possible because they signed that big contract and they want that to come in this year so they can have more games and make more money that's their big ask and then the player on the player side it's like okay well we want you to do away with service manipulation we want the younger guys to get paid quicker but we also don't want the guys who are kind of on bad contracts because we've talked about you're paying for what they did, not what they're going to do, like a Marcus Simeon, the, the uh, Corey Seager contract. Like, oh, my God, like these contracts, like there's no way that that player is going to be good for like 10 years of that contract. It's, it's not going to happen. So the players, like it, it is kind of making them like show their hand a little bit. Is like, okay, is this the part that's really important to you? Or do you just actually want every single team to bring up, you know, yeah. their minimum salary? Right. You know, you're talking about who the bad guys are. I'll tell you who's not the bad guy. I'll tell you definitively, 100%, who are not the bad guys and are going to be affected by this if they don't start these games on time. Restaurants, bars, businesses around the ballpark, people that sell goods, vendors, People that feed their families on meager salaries who got crushed in 2020 because they had to wait for a 60-game schedule. And and that's why you couldn't find any workers to come into the ballpark because they all had to go out and find other jobs. And that's who's not the bad guys. The people that are not the millionaires and the people that are not the billionaires that don't know what April is going to bring to them and their family and their loved ones financially. Because of these negotiations, they're the one group that are not the bad guys and they're going to get hurt worse than anybody. And when that happens, everybody becomes a bad guy in my mind. The players and the owners all become bad guys. Maybe one is worse than the other, but the moment those people start getting hurt, forget about me wanting to see baseball. We're talking about people who who lost livelihoods or nearly lost livelihoods at the outbreak of the pandemic when, when they, their business surrounds the game of baseball and has been set up in this symbiotic relationship. And if they survive, they're hanging on by a thread right now and you're about to kill them. After all that struggle over two years, they're not the bad guys. And that's where my outrage will be. It will not be that I didn't get opening day because I wanted to see it. That's selfish on my part. It'll be because of those folks. That's who I'm going to be upset for. And those are the people that you can't make whole when you finally do sign the contract to call the press conference and act like it all worked out in the end. Those people you can't make whole. 
The people that are sitting around right now having promotional events, the people are trying to figure out how much they should stock in inventory or whether or not they're going to staff. All those people are trying to make those decisions now and they have no idea if there's going to be a spring training crowd or an opening month crowd. And that, that is the real crime in this entire thing. Those are the only bad, those are the only people I know who are not bad guys. Yeah. And when those people get really affected, when they get really hurt, if we lose games, everybody's a bad guy in my mind. Not because I don't get to see baseball, because of that. No, I can't disagree with you, Chris. I mean, there's that's like that. We always say the fans are left out, but you just brought up another group that's you know completely left out, and, and especially like in Pittsburgh with you know during <laughs> during the, the summer, even though there's not many people that actually go into the stands. Pittsburgh is kind of hopping, you know, when there's pirate games going on. There are people that won't pay to go into the game, but will watch the fireworks afterwards and stuff, and and will you know make a night of it and different stuff like that. So that's a big thing. And like you said, you brought up the spring training stuff. Like Bradenton will have minor league baseball at some point, so they will get some of that money. But the amount of people that like usually take over that part of Florida for like the month of spring training to go to the games. To, to go out and eat at the, the restaurants, to go to the bars across the street and everything. If if it's just the minor league players there and they're actually not even playing games, I mean, that's got to hurt. Yeah. That's got to hurt. It's going to hurt. Look, and I, you know what I speak? I speak from experience in a way, okay? I, I started the Broadcast Basement On Demand radio network back in 2018 after doing 10 years as a 911 dispatcher and 911 dispatch supervisor. I dealt with the hell that was out in this world, and I was worn out from it. And anybody that continues to do that job or did it longer than me, God bless you. Hats off to you. I salute you. You're a hero. And I wasn't strong enough to keep going after 10 years because it's brutal. And I had a family I had to take care of. And I had a radio background. And podcasting was taken off. And I took a risk, and I started a company. And it started to work. And two years into it, a pandemic hit. The baseball shows instantly lost their advertising because there was no baseball, okay? All the sports shows, all the baseball shows that are on the network immediately tanked. Now, luckily, I was smart enough to make sure that I had different kinds of shows that covered different subjects, and I got really creative trying to figure out how to find ways to get people to listen so I could sell some ads, but I still had to pay the bills. Now, that was not Major League Baseball's fault. That was a pandemic. This is their fault. This is the player's fault and the owner's fault, and I'm not going to get hurt by it because, again, I learned from the pandemic. I have diversified what happens in this company that I run in so many different ways. It's frustrating. It's aggravating. It's annoying, but it isn't going to kill me. It's going to kill other businesses that are that are based around baseball, and those people work really, really hard to do what they do, and they put their blood, their sweat, and their tears in it because they're fans first and their business people supporting their families afterwards. And not all of them are in the position that I'm in. And I, I I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I can see it. I can see that people are losing interest in baseball because they're angry about what's going on. And when they lose interest, if there is no baseball and you have, let's say, an advertiser that is around the ballpark or you are a business that's around the ballpark, you're losing money and it affects. It's like a big giant thing of dominoes. The rich will continue to get richer. The millionaires and billionaires are going to work this out. They're not going to go. They're not going to go broke. They're not going to lose their business. They're not going to lose their livelihood. They're not going to have to take away the family vacation from the kids or tell somebody that they, they can't give them something they promised them. It'll be the little guy. Those are the only group in this that is not the bad guys if they don't play games. If they don't play games. The rest of them are all jerks. 
I will feel nothing for them. The only people I'll be worried about are the people that have surrounded the game of baseball for years, for decades, for centuries, okay? And are one of the reasons what that makes the game flourish that are being forgotten because if you don't have baseball, you hurt all those people, okay? And it's me, that's me after a couple of glasses of wine, end of the day, talking to Craig at the bar, pissed off, and, and you got my rant for tonight, Craig. I'm sorry. Okay, last week was all last week was all hunting human beings on an island, right? And, and all that, fun and games. It was all fun and all games. Fun and and games. It's, not now, funny, it's not fun and games anymore. Now man. I'm all it's pissed not. off. Now I'm all pissed off. Like you we, we're not even gonna get into robot umps. I know your guest here that's coming up here in a moment is gonna get into robot umps. And earlier I was like formulating in my mind I was gonna go through a whole Westworld thing with the umps, right? Like all of a sudden the umps are killing people and you know, there's some weird HBO robot umpire lovemaking going on in the bullpen. Something in this whole idea. It's all been scratched now because I'm angry. It's late. I've been drinking and I got on a roll. So I next week, next week, we'll do Westworld's version of robot umps. I'll get on that tangent. Yeah, because we know the baseball's not going to figure anything out. <laughs> no, no, we'll still then. be sitting here next week. There's plenty of time for that. Plenty of time. <laughs> Want to talk to a guy who's who's sitting down there in the sun in Florida, has gotten to check out uh, some of the Pirates' prospects last year, uh, is at a site that is uh, making you know the, the early draft list. They're they're looking at all all the players throughout uh, baseball. I'm bringing in Joe Drake from Prospects Live. He's at Jay Drake 349, which I'm assuming is his batting average. Joe, how you doing tonight, brother? Pretty good. Pretty good. I think the only way that my batting average was 349 was uh, probably on the show. <laughs> <laughs> if you were on the show. Maybe your on-base percentage. You took a lot of walks, a lot of hit-by-pitches maybe. yeah. Well, I had a pretty good eye. I couldn't hit, but I had a decent eye. <laughs> a decent eye. So let's go with uh, maybe with like the Marauders first. Uh and my thing is, is that like I'm looking for, you know, when you go and you you you're the uh, you're the scouting director for Prospects Live, so you're you're looking at a bunch of different players, and I know that when you go to a game, there's probably some guys that just kind of like just jump off the page at you that that you're like, man, this guy is playing possibly above this level or is just maybe dominating this level. Like, who are some guys when you went to see the Marauders play? that you maybe saw uh, and said that to yourself? Oh, this, this is an easy one for me. So I, I got to see the Marauders twice. It was the only team outside of um, the uh, Twins low 18 that I saw more than once. And it was Andy Rodriguez who jumped off the page for me for the Marauders. Um, and honestly, I had had uh, like not really any idea about him going in. Um, he hadn't really done a whole lot. I mean, he was playing rookie ball before, you know, back in 2019. And then you had the, the last season of the pandemic. Um, so I just wasn't familiar coming into the season, but he he's a guy on the field who just, he can hit. And as soon as he steps into the batter's box, you could tell um, this guy is just lacing liners all over the field. Um, and so like, he really stood out to me. He's a catcher. I, I don't know if he's going to catch at the big league level. Um, he didn't catch every game, you know, when I was there. And then, you know, the second time around, the Pirates had acquired Abraham Gutierrez. And so, like, he was mixing in at catcher, too, in the second series. So I didn't get a ton of looks at catcher. 
um, as far you know as far as the defensive profile goes. But I can tell you that the bat is going to play. <laughs> yeah, and that's what will uh, will move these players throughout the system. Uh, and and Ben Sherrington has always kind of gone towards like these versatile athletic players, a guy that uh, could possibly move around the field. And and we've even seen it like back in the day. I'm I'm dating myself not too much, but I mean, even with like a Neil Walker draft as a catcher, moved to third base, eventually shows up at second base. So it's not like, you know, if he moves off position that that's like a downgrade whatsoever. If the bat plays, they'll move up through the system. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you'll have some guys who are just such good catchers, you know, defensively, whether, it, you know, they, they block well, they receive well, they call a real good game. Like, you'll have guys who can't hit, but, like, damn, they can catch. They'll, they'll move up that way. And But, like you said, a lot of players are like, man, they get the bat on the ball. Like, it's just – it's that's the, the cure-all. <laughs> if, you, if you can hit, you're going to keep moving up. It doesn't matter what else you do on the field. So he's, uh, he's one of those guys where I think the bat is really going to carry him. I think it really might be a plus hit tool all said and done. Um, I think the power is a little bit more fringy, but I mean, this is a guy who he, what he hit 294 this year, a low a as a 21 year old, uh, the 380 OBP and a 512 slug. Um, but what was really impressive to me is like, you see that he had a uh, strikeout rate under 18%. You know, he doesn't swing and miss a lot. He doesn't chase out of the zone a lot. He controls his own very well. He makes the pitchers come to him. And then when he gets something he likes, he puts it in play and you know, he hits the ball hard. And you just you can't really ask for much more than that. Yeah, and then you look at like the twenty-five doubles, the the you know, the three I mean the six triples. It's it's just stuff that kind of like it just shows the athleticism, it shows that if you know, it, it makes sense that it hearing it from, you know, a, a lot of different sources, you see him rising up the prospect ranks. So it, it's definitely no surprise, you know, Andy Rodriguez was was there it, was there anybody you you got to see possibly pitch down there that that maybe you were looking forward to seeing? Uh, Jared Jones, uh, he's a kind of a big time name in the system that I was looking forward to seeing. Unfortunately, he had a like I think it was his roughest night of the year when he was in Fort Myers that night. Which hey, it's just going to happen. Sometimes guys, you, know, you can't have your best stuff every time you take them out. It just life doesn't work that way, unfortunately. <laughs> but he was, you know, he was a really exciting guy to see real live arm. He was sitting upper nineties and we, you know, when he was on early in the start, he was just blowing guys away with it. Uh, I mean that, that alone is going to give him a real good chance to be a major league arm, whether it be as a starter or as a reliever. Uh, I think he, I mean, he's got a pretty solid chance to start. The frame is a little small. He's like listed at six one one eighty. He looks, you know, he looks pretty lean. Um, there's some room there for him to add a little bit more bulk as he matures and, you know, because he's only 20 years old, so he's got some time left to add a little strength as he, you know, as he grows up, like we all do. And uh, that part kind of gives you questions about whether he can handle the workload, so to speak, as a, as a full-time starter. That's probably the biggest thing, you know, the the, the body and the command. But as far as the arsenal goes, it, it's pretty exciting because he's got the fastball and slider, a curveball, and a changeup. And to have four pitches like that really gives you options to attack, you know, both lefties and righties. It, it, it allows you to turn the lineup over more than once. You can give guys different looks, um, you know, and, and all the stuff is good. Like the breakers are thrown fairly hard. Like the slider lives mid eighties, curveballs upper seventies, low eighties, you know, and they all show, you know, they flash, you know, sharp bite, sharp break. 
Um, obviously, the consistency of those pitches are going to have to take a step forward, you know, for him to really have success on a consistent basis. But there's a lot to like there. So with that, like you were talking about Jared Jones with with like his age and and I know the size as well. But one of the things that that was adjusted this year with you know that having the missed year. Uh, Rob Manfred, you know, reorganizing baseball, making the one baseball, taking away the advanced uh, rookie league, taking away our West Virginia Black Bears up here in the short season league. Was there was there something that you noticed like in in low A as uh, the season progressed, uh, as, if younger players could catch up? Was it a different game? Like what were you seeing from from that and the complex leagues uh, over this past year? Yeah, so I think the biggest difference was on the complex and, and rather than in low A because taking those two levels out in between, um, you couldn't really force the guys who were in short season ball up to low A if they weren't ready because they, I mean, they kind of get their butts kicked. Um, you see like, you know, 18, 19 year old kids in low A, you know, facing sometimes like 22 and 23 year old players. And that's just, it's a big age gap and it ends up being a big talent gap sometimes. You're talking about guys who were, you know, graduated college facing off against guys who just graduated high school. So we saw a lot of those guys who were in, you know, short season ball or in advanced rookie ended up staying on the complex. So we ended up getting a bigger age disparity there because you'll end up with guys who are, you know, literally fresh out of high school. Like I saw Marcelo Mayer for the Red Sox playing um, for their FCL team this, uh, this past summer. And, you know, you have guys who are, 20 years old because you'll have college draftees come and start, you know, pick up their career right there on the complex. Uh, and, you know, other guys who were just kind of caught in between where they're like, probably you would have said too good for the complex before, but not quite good enough for low A. And you, you do have to balance, you know, the challenge with, you know, for some of these kids, you don't want to over challenge them. You know what I mean? You don't want them to get, beat up mentally and be like, oh, my, you know, baseball's hard enough as it is. We don't need to make it excessively hard. You know, you got to keep kids in good spirits and things like that. So that was, you know, that was really the biggest difference is you saw uh, more, I guess, older guys playing in, in rookie ball than you would have seen in the past. Yeah, and that's that's definitely like an adjustment. And, and some of the guys showed that they were, you know, like our Henry Davis. He, he was only down there for two games, and they're just like, well, he's too advanced for this. Uh, Andy and and Abraham are, are doing pretty good uh, in Bradenton, so we got some space, we got some time. Let's you know, let's just bump him up to Greensboro and just see how it sorts itself out. Um, he's also maybe like a more advanced college bat, so he wouldn't be held back too much. But like you said, there was there was a decent amount of guys. But one of the guys that I I kind of focused on and, and have asked about it a, a decent amount of times is is like an an, an Alexander Mojica with with him being. Uh, only 18 years old to start the season and and going into uh, low A where he would have normally, you know, possibly been like in that advanced uh, rookie ball and instead of being there and seeing him play against, like you're saying, like a 22-year-old, you know, arm. It's, it's definitely, it, there's that development gap there a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I got to see... Mohica a couple times and I to be honest with you I really liked him because like you said he was 18 I think I want to say he was the youngest kid in low A for most if not all of the season uh, and it was just really impressive obviously when you look at the stat line for the year it doesn't jump out at you you know it was a you know 87 WRC plus 
You know, he hit 210 with a 320 OBP. You're not looking at that and be like, oh, my God, this guy's a stud. But when you see him play, he just played with a confidence and just a maturity where you didn't look at him and you were like, you know, he, he didn't look like he was out of place. He looked like he belonged there. Um, I thought he controlled the strike zone pretty well. I was impressed with his patience and his approach, you know, facing off against, I mean, pitchers who were two, three, four years older than him. Um, and so that that's really what I took away from that. And by the way, he's a big boy. He is, I think they have a list of it, 6'1", 250. He might be a little taller than that. He's big. I think he's going to slide over to first base because he's, he's just going to be a big, strong guy. Um, hard, it's going to hard, be hard for him to keep that mobility at third base. But, I, I mean, with that size and strength comes power. So he's he'll be an exciting guy to watch. I'm really curious to see if they send him back to low A to start the year this year or if they push him up to high A. Pirates fans right now are focusing a ton on the prospects and, and something that the Pirates fans have focused on for the past two years, especially since Ben Sherrington has taken over. And I, I know it's it's super early. Uh, you guys you know, just put out an article at, at the beginning of the year, the first draft, the 1.0, there'll be a 2.0, a 3.0, a 4.0, as many as as you guys feel like doing down there. And it, it just, it's always fun and just interesting to read. And right now, I mean, everybody, it's, this is 1.0. The Pittsburgh Pirates are projected to select Brock Jones, outfielder from Stanford. The guy looks like an absolute tank. But with Ben Sherrington, you guys have seen uh, for the past, you know, couple years here, he's like kind of like favoring the, the college hitters early on, the guys that can move throughout the system. Is is that, do you think, maybe a direction he could go again? And like I said, man, honestly, this is early, but it's it just something fun to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think there is a there is a good chance that you could see him take a college hitter. And I think that's one of the reasons we kind of leaned into Brock Jones there is like he, he just fits that bill. Real good player, you know, college bat should be relatively quick to the majors. You know, you're going to be quicker than a high school bat. Um, and so it kind of gives them another talented player along that, you know, a quicker timeline is going to match up with a lot of the other guys in the system. Because, I mean, the Pirates have a lot of guys who are getting close at this point. Or if they're not close necessarily, they've moved past the uh, low levels of the minors. You know, they're moving past rookie ball and past low A, really starting to ramp up their, you know, their professional career, I suppose, you know, starting to come into their own. Um, so I do think that's a definite possibility. It's going to be something fun to watch. So if people uh, just kind of follow along there, like I said, they're uh, over Prospects Live. They're going to be putting out uh, mock drafts from from here until when it actually takes place. Um, also, everybody remember uh, to go follow Joe. It's uh, jdrake349. Uh, follow uh, Prospects Live at Prospects Live, uh, getting all that kind of stuff and getting us geared up for the minor league season. Joe, thanks for jumping on, brother. It was a blast. Of course, of course. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, yeah, follow along during the summer and I'll get some uh, video out of Pirates players, either from the Marauders or on the complex. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say, 